Cause you're a rambler and a gambler and a sweet talking ladies man Falling in love. Well, I didn't pick today's song for the first time in panel history. I decided to let a panelist choose a song. Did I make the right move? Text me 2101, or was it a total mistake? Your call. Anyone, I let Alan Blacken pick today because he's been through a bit in recent yeah. years and he chose Joni Mitchell. <clears throat> I'm going to say I'm not a huge Joni oh, Mitchell fan, Wallace. but hang on, wow. hang on. This album here, yeah. I love. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. Yep, and, yeah. it, and it just happens to be her birthday today. You're it's, kidding. It's, the oh, day, it's her it's birthday the birth- today. Yeah. Yeah. She's another 7th of November yeah, person. Yeah, another 7th of November. Yep, so she's 79 today, wow. and she's going back out on the road, apparently. Amazing. So... Yeah, she's she's not the best of shape, look, but um, look, you know you, she's you, just you, a genius. What do you yeah. think about uh, Joni Mitchell and music? She's a genius. She's yeah. an icon. Yep. Prince sings about her. Yes. You know, yep. I mean, yep. she's and the fans of Joni, they traverse. If you're a jazz fan. You're often a Joni Mitchell fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, but you know she's done everything from starting off as just sort of you know, well not just, but a, f- a folk singer, mm. right? And and she's ended up, you know, really sort of hardcore jazz with Charles Mingus and and eighties duet with um, Billy Idol of all people, and you know she's she, mm. she's. Fantastic. Pat, Pat Matheny, yes. Jaco Pastorius. Yes, yep, yep, yep. And her live band. Steve Gadd. Just amazing. Beautiful. Just Good amazing. On, good so. on you, Alan. How do you feel being the only panellist in panel history from Gadd? No one else. Leonie, don't, don't ask. Yeah. Oh, no. You're I not mean, getting a turn. Yeah, you know, after six years of being on the panel and never been asked. I'm I mean, extraordinarily privileged. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy that someone Alan chose. Someone says, JM First Class, Joni, full stop, perfect full stop from Mary. <laughs> Bethel's Beach. <laughs> well done, uh, Alan. Yeah. Uh, it is 25 to 5. The panel RNZ National. News Hub Read Research poll out yesterday. Doesn't look good for Labour. Labour has dropped significantly, 5.9 points down to 32.3. Its lowest result since Jacinda Ardern took the helm of the Labour Party in 2017. National has kept its head at just above 40%, but only just. It's up 0.2 points to 40.7%. ACT up 3.6 points at 10. Uh, the Greens up 1.1 to 9. 0.5% National Act together. They're on 50.7% while Labour and the Greens are back at 41.8%. So to decode all of that with us is Associate Professor Grant Duncan from Massey University. Dr Duncan, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Now, another poll here. Anything different about this one in uh, particular? Well, News Hub's uh, headlines were rather overhyped because In fact, when you look at this result in context of recent polling over the last few months, 32.3% is pretty much in keeping. So 
it's actually not as big a drop as News Hub were making it out to be. They're comparing it with the previous read research poll, which was done way back in April and gave Labor 38.2%. So do you see the, the, right. the supposed big drop actually isn't a big drop? Um, there's nothing um, out of keeping with 32.3% uh, compared with other more recent polls. And similarly, National's 40.7% good for National, but once again, not out of line with some recent results. OK, so I was going to ask you, what can it tell us about the mood of the country, uh, if anything? Um, well, uh, I would say it says nothing new, really. I, <laughs> I, I really think that uh, News Hub were, were deliberately wanting to rain on Labour's conference parade, weren't they? Because um, So this, this is the thing that bugs me a little bit, Wallace, is that I feel that a lot of news agencies nowadays are trying to change the narrative rather than report on events. <laughs> and so I think this is not a responsible use of polling, and I blame oh, News Hub, not Read Research. That's interesting, Grant. Yeah, kia ora. Thank you uh, for that observation. Can I ask you then, what would be a, a better way to um, get a snapshot of how the, the year is going politically? Well, it's not good news for Labour, that's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> they will not be happy been down in, in the sort of low to mid-30s and in, in polling over these last few months. And there's the question is, will they be able to get out of that downward spiral? Um, and at the moment, I can't really see any signs that they will, uh, although, you know, you had a previous uh, person on the programme who spoke very highly of the uh, recent uh, announcements about the childcare subsidy and so forth. Those are sorts of policies that are written by and for Labour supporters. They're not the kind of policies that are going to bring people who've oh. uh, decamped to national support and, and to bring them back over to Labour. And so also Labour somewhat shooting itself in the foot by getting into a, an almighty scrap with local government over water, which is ultimately something that we all want and need. But they, they've ended up having a fight with local government over that issue and things like that are not playing out well for Labour so I, at the moment I can't see what's going to pull them out of this situation Leone, your thoughts uh, on that and what yeah. Grant just said right there Well actually Grant I'm not sure whether I'm actually allowed to ask you this but um, but we're seeing we're talking polls I was wondering if you can make any comment on the American politics about what's going oh, on over there <laughs> Like is that comparison with the crazy you know like what <laughs> just seems crazy over there oh. Yeah, I can make a wee comment. I mean, <laughs> the trouble with with the midterms is that there's so many different races going on, it's very hard to to sum it all up. But it does look like the Dems are in for a walloping tomorrow. So uh, look out, yeah. Mm. So maybe ours is sort of simple in comparison. <laughs> the, oh, this is very simple in comparison. What, <laughs> what, 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 we are, what we can look forward to, I think, in 2023 at this stage is a fairly uh, standard contest between... Uh, a Labour Party with dis a redistributional policies and a National Party with a tax cut policy. Good old-fashioned uh, New Zealand politics. Right, yeah, Grant. Um, so I don't have the exact figures on me, but I seem to remember in 2017, certainly National um, won that election in terms of uh, percentage votes. Mm. And mm. I've, I've got a feeling that they weren't too different from what these are. You know, National about 40 and sort of Labour in sort of the mid-30s. And what made the difference was then the Greens and, dare I say it, New Zealand first. And, uh, um, yeah, 
That's true. I think just off the top of my head, it was National 44, Labor 37. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yes, the difference was, of course, uh, the strategic choice made by uh, Winston Peters uh, and, of course, the support of the Greens. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that's really sort of pointing towards a very similar thing at the moment anyway, in, in, in my view. So it's, well, if yeah, you go it's by the News Hub read, um, poll, it would probably be a National Act coalition. But keep in mind, by the way, that the all of these pollsters were inaccurate going into the 2020 mm. election. Mm. They were overestimating national by 5.8 percentage points on average. Mm, yeah. And so I just sort of say, take a deep breath, don't read tea leaves based on a single poll, uh, and it's a long way to go to the election. So, okay. yeah. Yes, it is indeed, Grant. Yeah. Now, uh, and, and Grant, just a word too, but um, you know, look who is back. Uh, New Zealand first <laughs> uh, mention must be made. Two, three point three percent. I mean, not too far off the five percent threshold, um, Doctor Duncan. What do you make of that? Well, I'm not surprised really. That Horizon research just a while ago gave them six point seven five percent. Kingmaker uh, role, yeah. Well, potentially. I mean, I, mm. I wouldn't once again go go rushing ahead, but yeah, there is a possibility that Winston Peters will do one of his rabbit out of the hat tricks and bring New Zealand first in over 5%. I, it's a possibility, yes, we need to uh, put that on the table. Hey, if, if here's a silly question, but if Winston <laughs> stood for Hamilton West in the by-election and won it, then would he be entitled to bring in anybody from his party? Not just on that by-election, no. Okay. Um, you'd have to actually win a seat, or one of them would have to win a seat in the general election. In the, election in the actual to, election, right. okay. Ah, yeah, to ah, have okay. that coattailing thing, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good, Grant. Thank you very much for that. That's um, Associate Professor Grant Duncan from uh, Massey uh, University. Uh, meanwhile, um, oh, thank you very much. We've got quite a few responses about uh, early childhood education uh, and childcare, rather, and a few personal responses of how you feel because it's a, such a mm. significant cost. It really is, isn't it? Uh, and we may well come back to that story and that issue later on uh, in the week. And by the way, too, um, I am away for one day tomorrow and Susie Ferguson is taking over the panel uh, for Tuesday afternoon, so looking forward to that. Can I just um, read out a little bit more on potatoes? (laughs) (laughs) Only because I've had such a response to potatoes. Obviously, you're at home or you're driving, whatever, and what's on your mind? Crispy golden potatoes. (laughs) You're just hungry this afternoon, and you're thinking about Kai. You want to get home, and that's what you want this afternoon. A little bit of snapper, maybe? Nice salad? Golden taties? Doesn't it sound good, Leone? Sounds great. Yeah, doesn't it? Right. Um, Okay, so... The secret, says Andrew, is to cut the potatoes as soon as they come out of the oven. That will let the steam escape without softening the skins. There are so many theories. There's not one. There are many theories. Mm -hmm. It's it's very interesting. Here's another one. Always use a metal oven dish, not a ceramic one. It makes a massive difference. Use a hot oven. Uh, Another one. I had a flatty who made amazing roasties. He would would put the parboiled spuds in a lidded container and shake vigorously to rough up the storage before roasting. Uh, Another one here. Mum's potatoes, her name was Irish Iris, brush and gently clean the potatoes, cut them in half, place on a tray, thin slicely on top, add butter and bake 
never fails. That's from Kim in Dunedin. And one more here. Wallace says, Alka, you do not need to use a plastic bag. Just drain your spuds, add your butter, olive, salt, garlic, herbs, back in the same pot, hold the lid tight and shake it well. Then into your hot oven... I've been doing this for the past year or so. <laughs> You're going to be really busy, Wallace. Actually, I think he's going to be confused. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, back to square one. Yeah, like, uh, what do I do? No, I'll take I'll take Rachel's advice first. Yeah, parboil, parboil. I actually think Wallace is like a you know something in the headlights and, and just sitting there think, like a possum in the headlights doesn't know what to it's do now. It's got to happen. It's yep. got to happen. Three decades in the kitchen. Soft and wet well, yeah. is my potatoes. That's got to change. Actually, I think you need to do to be like a scientist. I, I think he's going to have to say that. Yeah, yes. you need to yeah. try a whole lot of different it's, ways yeah. and test and measure and then report back. Look, so. there's a Marsden grant in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Professor Blackman. <laughs> I might take that up. Fifteen to five. Speaking of science, biodegradable plastics are an exciting advancement environmentally, but a new study has shown we might need to think twice before tossing that plastic water bottle in with your natural compost. The UK-wide study revealed that 60% of home compostable plastics do not disintegrate in home compost bins, inevitably winding up in our soil. Furthermore, the study revealed that people struggle to determine which plastics are compostable, which leads to incorrect waste disposal. So, to discuss, we have Victoria Aguilera, uh, who is going to tell us about her experience with home compostable plastics and what to look at. She's from Pacha Compost. Victoria, welcome. Kia ora, Buenas tardes. I came to this issue because um, I tried to put in so-named compostable um, packaging in my bin Two years later, it was still there exactly as I had cut it up. Mm-hmm. It didn't compost one little bit. Yeah, I'm not surprised there. You're not surprised? <laughs> no. So um, I've done a similar um, experiment, experiment as well, and 12 months later, it's barely changed. So yeah. um, I guess bioplastic at the end of the day is still plastic. Uh, and that's the from my Yeah, from my understanding... Um, some certified home compostable products have also been found to contain carcinogens and pollutants that, that do remain in your soil that, again, oh people are using to grow their food. So certification doesn't actually guarantee that your home compostable products won't release those harmful toxins into your compost. Okay, so you've explained it a bit there. Um, waste of time. I mean, you're a chemist, Alan. You'd know a bit about this, surely. <laughs> um, well, certainly, you know, just reading the paper that this was reported in and the the problem seems to be that um, in order for something to be classified as compostable, they do very specific experiments uh, under very, very standard oh. conditions in the laboratory with just one particular type of organism. And if that chews it up, that's great. But then you go out into the real world and um, your conditions are not quite so mm. stringent, shall we say. And um, so therefore they are thinking that, you know, part of the problem, and in fact possibly the major part of the problem is, is this precisely, is that they're not sort of replicating the real conditions that you see in the real world. And they were definitely saying that you should probably um, take all of this stuff to an industrial composter who actually know what they are doing. Because, you know, all these mum and dad backyard compost heaps and mm. everything, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the show. And, um, you know, you wouldn't expect any sort of uniformity, I guess, in these, which, you know, I guess is, is uh, no excuse. And 
uh, as a result of this is an organic food producer over in the UK who have now done away with their so-called compostable packaging and they've just reverted to paper now. Where, where ah, possible. thoughts, yeah. Victoria? Victoria? Yes, sorry, what was that? Yeah, do you, what did you make of what Alan just said right there? Yeah, and definitely agree with what he said, but also another challenge is that most industrial composting facilities um, won't accept home compostable products because it, it does actually affect their final quality of their compost. Mm. And ah. also councils across the country vary on accepting home compostable products for the same reason. So oh, a lot of those home, home compostable products are ending up in landfill, which is not good as we know. Okay. Mm. So I reached out to, we've got an expert in our office. We, his nickname's actually God because he's so good at what he does. And, but he has all the, he has everything in this space at home. So he said to me, because I have to say that, that, you know, give him credit for this. And he explained to me that um, most home composts don't get hot enough to be able to break it down. Mm. And um, so he said his doesn't, you know, he relies on worms and insects and microbes to do the job. So they all like cardboard, but not plastic. And so he explained that some people think biogradable plastic is good, but it, if it just breaks down into smaller bits of plastic, then it's really not helping. And because um, we, you know, so he, he, he said, surely the question should be is how do we use less plastic? And so a question for you, Victoria, is, you know, does New Zealand actually have a standard for what is considered yes. compostable mm, plastic? Yeah, yeah, good question. Good, yeah. yeah. No, from my understanding, there's no certification oh. in New Zealand that does that home composting certification. Well, there's your problem right there. Yeah. yeah. And with bells on. Yeah, right. of course. Yeah. There has to be. You can't claim well, something like this. Yeah, well, yeah. it's it's it's, a, it's great to have you on, Victoria, because I know that you're a pro, and I've actually, I, I, I have actually really enjoyed my composting journey. We've had a compost mm. for about uh, five years now, and I actually am a bit of a believer now. I, I, you know, all the food scraps and everything the p- they potato, go in. Potato scraps? Yeah, potato <laughs> Even the potato was soft and soggy. That's where they go when they're they soft, went, and soft. soft and soggy. Soft and soggy on Do, you, do yeah, the thanks, worms Alan. like the soft and I soggy? I don't know, Leonie. Yeah. Um, but what are the what are the risks uh, for fire? What are the risks of trying to compost a plastic item that won't biodegrade, Victoria? Well, I guess you have the risks of potentially contaminating your soil with toxins. There's, there's no guarantee. Um, what you're actually mm. putting into your soil. So I guess that's the risk, especially if we're growing food and then consuming that food. Good gracious. Mm. Thank you for being on the program. I really appreciate it, Victoria. Thank you. Uh, that is Victoria Aguilera, who is part of uh, a group called Pasha Compost. They are compost experts. Meanwhile, uh, back on potatoes. <laughs> I think there's a theme to this this panel today. Hey, you'd never know there's a war in the Ukraine, don't, don't you? It's don't, potatoes. Don't blame me. Blame blame the listeners. Um, we just I've, I've been in touch. The, the wonderful Nikki Bazand also ah, panelist has oh, been yes, in touch yes. with us. She said, "Loving the potato chat, Wallace." For several years, I wrote blogs for Potatoes NZ. Didn't know that. And back in 2017, I did a deep dive into the perfect roasties. Here it is for your edification. And there's a method there for what I determined to be the perfect roast bud. So now. If you would like this particular link, um, why don't you email me, the panel, at rnz.co.nz, and I will send it to you, or I'll get Sam 
If you, like me, just cannot do the golden roast spud, they are soggy and wet, like mine, apparently are. Uh, I have the answer for you. But your worms like them and your compost. Maybe. Maybe. We'll find out. Yeah. Now, finally... A group in Dunedin highlights the fashions of the past. Now, I don't mean the bell bottoms and the poncho that Alan Blackman wore in 77. <laughs> How did you know? Yeah, I saw a photo. Um, or the padded shoulders of the 80s. Oh, no. This group goes back to the 1800s, bringing fashions of the past to life, a group dedicated to it. They are called Images of the past, and they modelled dresses in a fashion show recently for residents in aged care in Dunedin. I saw the photos, and I was fascinated. With us is past Dunedin member Lorraine Clark. Lorraine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us about the group, Lorraine. It sounds so fascinating. Well, we started in 2005. Um, by a late, one of our members, she came down from Omaru because they've always had a big group up there, and she put an ad in the paper, and um, a lot of us answered it. So um, we make and wear our, um, our own clothing. Mm. So we, oh. most of us have from 1700 on to about 1910, 1915. Mm. That's amazing, because uh, I saw images of uh, what you wear, and I, I, I didn't know that you actually make the clothing. I thought it was historical wear or wear that was found. It must be quite something. It must be quite a bit of skill to, you know, recreate those garments, Lorraine. Yes, well, we have patterns. Um, there's a place in America that does truly Victorian patterns, and they are just made larger for our sizes. Okay, yeah. Because people were very small in those days. <laughs> right. Lorraine, I was wondering, um, I was intrigued when I saw the photos because I was wondering how comfortable those clothes would be yeah, to wear. That's my, that's my question. You know, like, for, for the women, they were just these huge, big, yep. you know, corsets yep. and big skirts and nothing, you know, nothing showing of any of the ankles. And I thought, man, they must be quite hard to wear. So I was wondering what they're actually like to wear in practice. Most of them are lovely to wear. Are they? Uh, yes, yeah, they are. We don't um, we don't wear them all day and all evening, so right. therefore we don't suffer the same as what they did in the you know Victorian times. But but Lorraine, in Victorian times or in the uh, late eighteen hundreds, you would have had to wear of a particular class. You would have worn that what the whole day. They would have yes, but mm. we yeah we don't. So we yeah. have all the joy and none of the hard work. Yeah, but, but you know, but it looks to me again in the photos that by the time you've you know got into them, it's time to get out of them again. <laughs> How long does it take to um, yeah. put these things on there? Oh, you know, they're works of art depends. for the sake. Yeah, yes, it all depends um, whether you've got someone to help. <laughs> remember, in those days, they had they mates. Had mates. Mm. Okay. You know, but you you have to do it in a special order. Like you have to put your shoes on before you put your petticoats on. You put otherwise your shoes you on down. first. What? Yes, because otherwise you don't get down to your shoes. What? Wow. <laughs> How come? Oh, because you'd oh. be wearing the corset. You wouldn't be able to bend over. Course. Exactly. Ah. Good grief. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, you, you, you know, you really couldn't go out for a run or something in the dresses, <laughs> could you? Is it, is uh, it, no. No. Uh, I mean, p- providing the historical costume shows, I mean, do people enjoy it? Do people get a sense of real um, fascination and enjoyment mm. out of it, Lorraine? 
or yes, particularly the older ladies and the, or, and the gentlemen, because sometimes you can bring back memories mm, of what yes. was in the grandma's no, sure. Yeah, yeah. You see, so it's wonderful mm. to bring people's old memories back, um, you know, like when they were children mm. and they saw grandma wearing these dresses. It's it's such a wonderful thing um, you're doing, Lorraine. And um, are, are you have you are you are you going as a group? You're continuing and you're providing these shows for people in residence and aged care and other uh, other other um, parts of society. Yes, we've got two more fashion shows at the end of this month, and of course we get donations for them, which we buy book vouchers for the children's ward. Oh, wonderful! Oh, fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Very cool. It's like the old people are supporting the young people, which I really yeah. like. That's just wonderful, Rain. Yeah. And <clears throat> what happens to the garments when they are made and worn? Do they? I guess you might have a an archive or a library of uh, garments now. I've got a cupboard full. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think they sound um, amazing because that that whole history, you know, you're you're just keeping a bit of history, mm. and um, oh, often absolutely. we read it in books. But isn't it fantastic to, to see it? To see yeah. it? To see it? Yeah. Yes. If, if Peter yes. Jackson ever wants to make a period movie, he's just got to go to Dunedin for the exactly. costume. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we'll be in the Octagon tomorrow uh, ah. because there's another cruise ship in. So yes. a group of us will have lunch in the Octagon. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's so cool. Octagon, the Octagon tomorrow, seeing uh, the historical costume, as it were, what time? 12 to 2. 12 to 2. Finally, is there any, are you going to sort of go to other periods, like, you know, I talked about the 70s, your bell bottoms, your, pon- <laughs> your ponchos? You don't need a maid to help you are put you them g- on. Are <laughs> you going to sort of delve into other uh, eras as well, Lorraine? Some, lady, some ladies are making uh, Edward... Oh, gosh, I've lost it now. The ones with the big panniers at the side. Um, mm. Tudor or something. Oh, those pantaloon <clears throat> things. Yeah. yeah. Golf, yeah, back golf trousers. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. going back a wee way. Well done, Lorraine. Yes, thank you for joining us here on the panel on Radio RNZ National. Oh, thank you. Lovely. That's Lorraine Clark there. And you can go to the Octagon tomorrow, 12 to 2. Um, so there we have it. Apologies about the poncho and the bottom <laughs> gag. Some people thought it was real. It's not. I was just being silly. <laughs> Professor Blackman. So bad I say potatoes. Leonie Freeman. <laughs> Susie Ferguson on tomorrow. I am back. Huge volume coming about the golden spud recipes through email. Wednesday, I'll reply. <laughs> and go the Black Ferns. Go the Black Ferns. Yeah, yeah, Checkpoint yeah. next. See you later. <laughs>